I want to invite you to take your Bible with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 this morning. 1 Corinthians 9. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one near you in the hymn book holder. Or maybe you've got a device that you can quickly find one. Blue Letter Bible is a good app that has it. And a good place for you to find a copy of the Scriptures to be able to read along today. And we'll come to that in just a moment, 1 Corinthians 9. Today we conclude our teaching series, Community. We have spent the last several weeks since the 1st of January, and we have been studying this together as uh, I believe we started the series and we looked at the community of believers and we talked about how the important, the important aspect of having unity within the church and a unified church is a church that is being blessed by God, moving forward and, and uh, doing a mighty work. Then we talked about in week two with Vision Sunday, we looked at making a lasting impact with a, our vision, with goals, with working together and planning. And that's why you see the banner behind us, impact, love God, love people, looking to make an impact within our church, in our community, throughout the world, and looking forward to that this year. The importance of connection, we looked at in week three, we love the word connect and connection. And so by being unwavering in our focus and representing God with who we are and how we live was what we looked at in week three. So today we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and a word that I'm going to study together and look at is the word commitment. And I want us to look at that idea that Paul writes here in addressing this with his friends at the church at Corinth as he writes this letter to them. Now, what I love about this passage of Scripture is that it's apparent that Paul was practicing the principles which he wrote about. He had put it into, into his life pattern. It was something that he did, and he is looking at making a difference, making an impact with his preaching and teaching of Jesus Christ, the name of Jesus, and the power of the gospel. And so all through chapter number 9, he's addressing that issue. In verse number 16, woe is it unto me if I preach not the gospel. He comes to verse 22, I am made all things to all men that I might by all means save some looking for God to use his testimony, his story, his teachings, his preachings to make that impact and to make that difference. Now Paul stresses that one should subordinate our own interests, our own quote-unquote rights, the things by which we think we should be able to live by and forfeit those in order that the name of Christ can be given and the gospel can be preached. It's not necessarily who begins the Christian life, but rather who completes the Christian life well, who Paul is addressing here. And so Paul writes these following words in verses 24 through 27. Would you look at the text with me? 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that they may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so as fight, I not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. So he looks at these four verses and talks about the example of running, running in the race. And so this morning, I want us to look at the last part of this series of community, making a lasting impact, run to win, run to win. Let's bow and ask the Lord to guide us. Father, I'm going to ask you today that you will give us your wisdom and your direction. 
Lord, there's a lot of things that are out of our hands, things by which we can't really change sometimes. And so we're going to ask you to intervene in that way today. I pray that you would remove the distractions from us that would cause us to wander away from the teaching of the word. I ask that you will help us to hone in and to focus on what you have for us today. Now, Lord, we have gathered here on purpose to worship you. We have lifted our voices in unison together today, and now we consecrate our time to studying the word. But I pray that it would not be my words or the things by which I want to say, but that the message would come from you. I ask that you will give us your message today so that it might change our lives. Help us to be moldable, help us to be attentive, and we'll look forward to what you're going to do through this very purposeful time together today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we talk about running to win, and all of us really participate in a few races during the week from time to time. Some of you race to the house to get uh, home for supper. Some of you race to get the housework done. Some race to get their math homework finished on time. Some are going to race to get in front of the car that's uh, on the parkway so that you can get in front of them to hit your exit before it's too late. Some of you race to uh, go through the grocery store, hurrying to grab all the items that you need. You race to eat, get dressed, and be on time to the place that you need to be. How many of you look back at your Sunday morning, you could say, yeah, it was a little bit of a rat race this morning in my home or for me or in my life. Okay, a few of you are willing to admit that. The rest of you were just cool, calm, and collective. Your hair does not communicate that at all. I'm not sure what kind of day you had, but we all live at times at a fast pace, a race from here to there. Now, some people even here today are true runners, like you enjoy running, now, anybody in here that you just enjoy running, you get out, you're thinking that you are this, oh my, church, <laughs> nobody in here is a runner. We have got something wrong here. Cliff, you, ra- you run on the treadmill. I see it on Facebook all the time, all right? No running, fast walk. How many of you walk fast? Could you? Ra- okay, good. We're actively involved in exercise. There we go, all right? How many of you run from the couch to the refrigerator and back before the commercials are over? All right, there we go. Truth of this congregation right there. So some people, not in our church, but some people are true runners. They enjoy the sweat, the strategy, and the accomplishment of running. They track their progress, their history, and their next plans for a run. And I think the Lord is impressing upon my heart to do some running this week, just to bring conviction on our congregation. Some like the competition of running, and they get into it, and they enjoy that. Some just enjoy competing against somebody. There was this story, two gas company servicemen, they were um, doing a service call where they were checking the gas meters, and they were walking down an alley where houses were on both sides, and the senior supervisor, he had a young trainee with him, and so he was teaching him the, the concept of checking the meters, documenting everything, and to do it correctly. And so the senior representative, he looked at his his trainee and he said, hey, I'll race you back to the truck. Well, now all of this conversation is taking place and there's a nice, kind lady in her house looking out the window. She's a little nosy about what's going on and she's watching these two gas men who are walking and looking at the meter. They both look at each other and they said, I'll race you back. And so in full sprint, they take off back to their vehicle. As they're getting back to their vehicle, they see this nice lady just sprinting right behind them. She's huffing and puffing, and they look at her and said, ma'am, what are you doing? What's wrong? She said, if I see two gas servicemen running down the aisle away from my home, you better believe I'm running right behind them. (laughs) 
So this would have been a true example that's not running to win, but running to survive sometimes is the case. Well, in our text here, Paul, he is writing in regards to a very valuable truth that is a true resource in our Christian life. It's this thought of commitment. In so many areas of our life, when we think about it, you have your job, your career, so in your workplace. For some of you that are in school, you think about it in your school work. Some of you who are athletes, that you enjoy competition, you enjoy sports. Some of you in other areas of your life, when you think about succeeding in that, you know that it takes a level of commitment. And that commitment is going to help you to take the next steps of success. And that really is the same way in our spiritual lives. When we think about where we are spiritually, if I'm going to excel, if I'm going to mature, if I'm going to grow, if I'm going to get to know God more, it will take a level of commitment. It means that I've bought in. It means that I'm willing to sacrifice. It means that I'm willing to take what, do what it takes to grow and to mature in this way. Now, I want us to look at these verses and learn at the lessons that Paul is writing in these four verses that help us to see this level of commitment. In verse 24, he says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. So commitment is inspired through purpose. If you think about it in a lot of different ways, let's just put your career on the line here, and you say that I'm going to be committed to my career, my job, I'm going to learn more, I'm going to be on time, I'm going to work and do what I need to do. There are levels of commitment that you're willing to do, and because of that, you are going to gain purpose, and you're going to have vision and goals. And so if your boss comes to you and says, in order to exceed in the company, we're going to send you to this course in Orlando, and it's three days, and you're going to go through this course, you're going to soak it in, you're going to be tested, and you're going to put it into practice the next week. And so you have this purpose where you say, I'm committed to my career, I'm committed to my job, I want to grow, I want to succeed, and so you're going to do what it takes to learn and to be expanded. All of us like to function with purpose. We don't like things to just happen or fall into place. If you do, it may come from a lack of self-discipline or a lack of focus in your life that you just kind of things fall into place. We all want purpose. We all, that's why the question is asked, why? And there's no problem with asking the question, why? Why helps us to gain purpose. Why am I investing in this? Why am I doing this? Why do I think this way? Now that I know the answer, that gives me good purpose and reason to do it. Just as the, in the physical realm of running, when we think of the goals and the targets and the vision and the planning and the purpose that they have, the Christian life is in that same way. Here at the beginning of the year, the question could be asked to all of us, have we really set ourselves up in 2018 for spiritual success? Have we taken our level of commitment and given it purpose? Have we said, I've got some goals this year spiritually. I'd really like to implement this way of studying God's word or having and developing a pattern of study in my life or even just expanding my thoughts of prayer instead of my prayer life being all about me, 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 need, 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 more about worship and adoration and focus on God. So see how now we're asking ourselves all of these questions that says, here's the purpose now I'm going to put the level of commitment behind it that's going to help me to, to accomplish that. Now, in the context of what Paul is writing here, we know that his friends at Corinth are going to relate so well with what he's speaking of because the Greeks, they had two great athletic festivals every year. They had the Olympic Games and the Isthmian Games. 
And with the Isthmian Games, they were held at the city of Corinth. And so these guys are understanding as they're reading, they're, they're corresponding everything together. And they knew in a very intimate way what Paul was writing because at the culmination of the week, the highlight was this race. And this race would be that which people are going to have rigorous training. They would train for 10 months on their own. And then they would come in the last month to the city of Corinth. And every day they would, they would go to specific training in the gymnasium and on the athletic fields. And this is happening in a rigorous way because they had a level of commitment with purpose supporting it. And so as the last month they were being supervised with this there were times where people wanted to bow out. There were times when people wanted nothing more to do with it, but they had accountability and they had purpose and they had encouragement. In the same spiritual realm, it's important that we surround ourselves with people that are going to encourage us because honestly, you can say this in agreeance with me, there are times in our life, in our spiritual journey, where we go through shallow times where we think, I'm just tired, or I'm worn out, or that text doesn't mean anything to me, or, or I don't understand it, or I can't really grab it, or being faithful, or being committed, I, maybe again, I'll come back to that. And when we have the accountability and we have support around us, it helps us to stay committed because of purpose. And so the level of training, the length of training made it very clear to these people that there was a high level of commitment and purpose behind it. Now the great difference between those races, these physical races that Paul is writing about and the Christian race by which we all participate in as a believer is that there was a price that they paid physically in this training, but they did it in order that they can win. There was only going to be one winner of the race, and I'm thankful that in our Christian life, there's not just one of you in here that's going to win. For we all compete in this race, not against each other, but against ourselves. It is this, this striving forward with the Lord's help to be better and to be more focused. And in a sense, every Christian runs his own race. We run this own race, enabling each one of us to be a winner. And the focus here is interesting because we think, oh, to be a winner at this Christian life just means that one day I'll get to go to heaven. No, this is not works-based. Because once saved, always saved, that salvation came by a faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. And so now it's nothing that you can add to it to make it better or to make it a higher level of salvation. That's not what it is. What Paul is writing about, remember verse 16, woe is to me if I preach not the gospel. He said in verse 22 that I might by all means save some, that God would use me to win souls to Christ. And so here his focus is all about impacting lives with the preaching and teaching of the gospel. Now, if he wanted to make an impact in people's lives, we all can sit here and say, well, Paul probably had the greatest impact in people's lives. But do you realize that Paul was a human being just like you and me? He was no super saint, no holy Joe. He was just separated from the things of this world and a man who was on, on target and focused. And it came because of a level of commitment in his life. So he said, what am I going to do? He said, well, I'm going to make sure that my goal here is not a perishable crown that I can wear on my head. And it's not some far-fetched crown that maybe or maybe not will be achieved one day. He said, my reward is so that I can see people's lives impacted and changed because of the power of the gospel. And Paul realized that he was going to be one of the many instruments that God could use to make that impact and difference.
And so here is a beautiful thing here. The target, the purpose, the goal that Paul writes about. In Hebrews 12.1, I'm reminded about the, the weight, the distractions. It says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, who for the joy that was before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so we have this, this opportunity to take the weights and the distractions and put them aside. And so it, 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 the weights do not become the end game. They do not become the target. The distractions don't become the target. It's pointless to run on a treadmill with a, a glazed maple donut hanging in front of you as your goal and your target. I just ran for five, mile, five minutes, so now I get a bite of that maple donut, all right? That's not the target. It's not the reward. Now, if that gets your body moving and running, hey, you put two dozen donuts up there. You do what you need to do. But here, he is saying very specifically that this this weight or these distractions, this sin which doth so easily beset us. Ah, easily, yeah, you're right. The distractions easily beset us. These distractions easily take our eyes off of the purpose, off of the goal. The weight and the sin easily distract us from the target and, and the vision. And so what pounds do you need to shed today? What spiritual pounds do you need to get rid of? Lay aside the weight that is harassing you. You may say, if I'm true with myself, this weight I carry with me every day. And this weight is 10 years old. This weight is something that I've been distracted with for the last decade because I remember how real it was and it has impacted my life day in and day out. Oh, there are some weeks that I can go without thinking about it, but then I, I, I kind of keep thinking. I, I remember the joy that it, it brought me for a little while. I, I know that it brings me still a sense of guilt, but this, this weight has become a part of me. It's a besetting sin that's just who I am. It's how I was created. It's the way I think. And, and I know there's a time I need to leave it at the altar. And I'm fired up about the things of God. And I don't want it anymore. And, and then I, I get discouraged. And I go back to the weight that so easily besets me and sets me back. I think if we're honest with ourselves, we could probably identify with that whole scenario too often. And he says to just be free from that, to leave it behind. If you're going to come to Corinth for the last month of training, don't bring the baggage and weight in your training process. Leave it behind because it's not going to help you to compete in the race. Now, we need to run with this purpose. We need to run this race with patience, keeping our eyes on Jesus but then notice in verse 25, he says, Every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. Everybody loves a reward, don't they? Commitment always receives a reward. You know, rewards seem to be very motivating. Good grades on a report card, finishing a school project on time, eating all your vegetables so that you can have a dessert, 
those three things you can tell I have kids in my world and so that's what we're motivated by losing weight in order to get a new wardrobe these are all realities of motivation there was an issue of the Reader's Digest back in the 90s. His name was Marion Gilbert. He wrote this. He said, One morning I opened the door to get the newspaper. I was surprised to see a strange little dog with our newspaper in his mouth. Well, I was delighted with this experience. It was very unexpected to have this delivery service, so I fed the dog some treats. Then the following morning I was horrified to see the same dog sitting in front of our door wagging his tail surrounded by eight newspapers. <laughs> I spent the rest of that morning returning the papers to the rightful owners. <laughs> Commitment always receives a reward. You know, in the Isthmian Games, the prize was given as a pine wreath that they would wear over their head. It was a mark of success. They were striving for it. They wanted that. If the winner not only got the pine wreath that they would wear on their head, but they also gained fame, popularity, almost to where this athlete became mortal it just, and, and had this, this picture, almost like athletes today. They become heroes, untouchable people that we look to and unfortunately worship at times. But these just lasted for a little while. The pine wreath would fade away, and so would the popularity, so would the fame that this athlete would have. Now, I'm so thankful that for Christians, when we run this very short-lived lifespan here on earth, that it's not for some perishable pine wreath crown. It's not even for fame or popularity, but rather for an imperishable prize, one that will last for all eternity, one that is incorruptible, and I'm thankful that we are striving for that. We have already been given immortality in Jesus Christ by putting our faith and trust in him. We won't live here on earth forever, praise God for that. But our soul will live forever in eternity in all of heaven's glory because of the decision we made to put our faith and trust in him. 1 Peter 1.4, an inheritance which is imperishable and it's undefiled, will not fade away. And we're looking forward to that being reserved in heaven. We also know that it's the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award, give to us, and it's on that day. And so that prize is imperishable. Now, I like what he uses for words here in verse 25, because he says, every man striveth for the mastery. You know that word striveth for the mastery? It's a Greek word, agonizomai, something along those sorts. So I was asked this morning if I know Greek and Hebrew. I do not. And, uh, but I have great resources that I use to study because I love to see the meaning behind the English words. And so you know the word that comes from this striving is the word agony. It's to agonize over something. It's not a half-hearted effort. Now, every competitor had to go under strict training for those 10 months. And during that time, they were temperate in all things. They were self-controlled in everything they did. The athlete, the runner, has to say no to the food that they may love and enjoy. They have to get their rest. They say no to a late night of partying. They resist. They turn, turn away. And, and in Christian life, we should be living in those same patterns where we are learning resistance, where we're learning self-denial, where we're learning self-control, where we're learning to agonize. The Christian life is not full of agony, but we realize that the Christian life is tough. It's it, the, the, the truth is, some of you would say, the Christian life is hard at times. And I think there's truth to that. 
Jesus Christ didn't tell his disciples to just follow me and, and I will make this thing work so beautifully and wonderfully for you that you're just going to spend life in eternity. He told them straight up that if you follow me and want to be a disciple of mine, meaning a follower and learner of me, that means you have to deny yourself and take up your cross. That's being crucified with Jesus Christ. That means striving for the mastery. If we're going to effectively run this race of the Christian life, it's going to take some agony, agonizing things. It's also going to take self-control, being temperate in all things. As Paul wrote that, we may find that commitment is not always easy, but it's necessary. And with your commitment to continue to run, you too can receive the reward. You too will find that in this Christian life, in this Christian race, that imperishable, incorruptible crown is yours to win if you'll stay committed. And then thirdly, in verse 26 and 27... He says, I therefore so run not as uncertainly, so fight I not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. So number three is commitment is empowered by self-discipline. In these verses, 24 through 27, and even backing up to verses 15 through the rest of the chapter, Paul has explained two ways in which he was looking to improve the effectiveness of his preaching and his sharing of the name of Jesus Christ and the gospel message. In the first section of verses 15 through 23, we find that he's going to look at this, this thought of, of self-denial, this denying of yourself. Remember we talked about the rights? Well, I have a right to have that because I'm covered in grace. And many times we will swing the pendulum all the way to the other side and we'll take on things because it's our, our Christian liberty. And yet we neglect to see the very fact that that which we're indulging in within our Christian liberty is that which is causing our gospel message to be ineffective. It's causing our teaching of the name of Jesus Christ to be ineffective because I'm indulging in my Christian liberty. And so Paul is writing this and saying, yes, we have rights within the Christian liberty. Yes, we have the benefits that we can choose to live by, but he is giving us the very truth of self-denial so that we might be effective with the gospel message. In verse 16, woe is it unto me if I preach not the gospel. In 22, I am made by all things, or, or I am made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. And then in the last part, verses 24 through 27, not only self-denial, but then this self-control. So self-denial, self-control comes because of self-discipline in our life. A Christian who's not self-disciplined is one who will flounder in their spiritual journey. One who will not see steps of growth. One who will not mature. But one who is just letting life pass by, indulging in their Christian liberties just because they can. So we must bring ourselves under subjection to a greater being, a greater leading in our lives to a much greater purpose. And the athlete denies himself a ton of legitimate pleasures that he has the liberty to enjoy, but he chooses, she chooses to reject them. And we in our Christian life must find ourselves to avoid not only definite sin, but anything that hinders your spiritual 
progress. And by the way, I don't have to give you a handout today to list everything that would hinder your spiritual progress because you have a Holy Spirit living within you that tells you what is hindering your spiritual progress. So this self-control, this self-discipline, this self-denial is crucial in the areas of commitment. He writes here this emphasis that must be balanced. And if we want to serve the Lord and win this reward and approval, we, we have to pay the price. He writes, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly. This means he was not running aimlessly. Have you ever seen somebody run aimlessly? I'll never forget, Bailey was just a little one, probably two, three years old. We were up in Indianapolis, her cousin, Audrey, same age. And they would run around the house that was up inside. They had some type of circle area. And so they're running. And I'll just never forget little Audrey as a two or three-year-old. And just with a big giggle and laugh. And she's just loving life. Ha, ha, ha. She's watching. And she's just flopping. And she's watching Bailey to see if Bailey's catching her. And then all of a sudden, little Audrey, three years old, boom, just ran right into the wall. Now, as an uncle, I laughed really loud. And I thought it was really cute. Till I heard little Audrey cry. And then as the little three-year-old, we scooped her up. Oh, Audrey, it's okay. Your nose is all right by your ear. Let's move it back. All these things. And it was so sad. Now, she didn't break any bones. She was fine. You know, two and three-year-olds, they're pretty resilient physically. She just bounced back up and laughed and ran the other way. But an example of just running aimlessly, distracted. He says, I'm not running aimlessly. I have a, a focus and a fight. He says, so I fight not as one that beats the air. He changes metaphors with us. And now he says he boxed in such a way that he was not just beating the air or shadow boxing. He says, I am in a real battle and a real fight. And I'm not going to just get hot and sweaty and wear myself out and fatigue myself by pointless, useless entanglements. He says, I'm in a real battle and a real fight, and I'm going to run with purpose, not aimlessly. He says, I am going to fight this battle, not shadow boxing. And then he says, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. And here is that self-discipline and self-control. It's a major part of the fight. The major part of the fight in our Christian journey is bringing our body under control to bring your urges and your desires for pleasure under control. So it is dis it's disciplining ourselves to take the next step. It's denying things that we know our body wants. Our body wants to sleep in and, uh, and pass the time away instead of having our, our quiet time with God. Our, our, our body wants to be consumed with social media and catch up on everything that's going on in our, our world. And so we'll spend an hour and a half on social media and, and, and grab a five-minute daily bread devotional that we try to chew on for a few minutes. Or it's the family that rejects spending time with each other because they have other things on their mind. Uh, I walked into a restaurant Friday night and... Uh, we, we all can run into this trap. You know, our phones are good devices that keep us connected with text messages, emails, and other things. They can help entertain the kids uh, when, they, when they've got a free, free few moments. And so I understand the electronic device world. 
And uh, our, our young family can be guilty of this very thing, but it really stood out that a family of six was sitting at a table, and I walked through there, and we were headed to our table, and the mom was sitting there with a smile on her face, and a uh, young mom, she was probably just excited to be out for the night, and, and dad was on his cell phone looking at a couple things, actually he was watching a video, and then the four kids all had their devices, two teenagers and two little ones, and they're playing games and watching things, and, and I just thought the distractions that we have and it, it, it takes commitment that says, you know what, this is a good opportunity to have conversation. Natalie and I take family walks with the girls because we find that the table for dinner is not the best place for conversation because we're still trying to fight with them to eat their green beans and green peas. And, uh, and of course, Natalie's fighting with me. No, I don't like those. Why did you make that? Okay. And we're, we're trying to shovel it down. A and then so our conversations are best when we're on a family walk. And so pajama walk is like our highlight. The girls get their pajamas on and we walk this neighborhood and we have conversations. And, and so we're, we have to discipline ourselves for that. I tell her, if I walk with the family tonight, can I have a maple glazed donut when we get home, all right? So that's where that illustration came from. Uh, no, not really. But the denial says, I'm not going to have two brownie Sundays tonight. The denial says, I'm going to go to bed early to get myself a good night's rest. The denial says, I'm going to get up early and have a fresh start to my day. The denial process for us says, I'm going to learn how to get a hold of my own body to bring it under subjection because all of you will agree to this. In your life, when you see the steps of subjection you bring your own body to, it just goes in leaps and bounds in your spiritual life as well. Because now I've learned that I cannot drink so much Coke. I need to drink more water. So when I deny it at the restaurant or deny it when I can sneak one in in the office and Natalie's not looking and I resist it. And when I resist that, you know what? I'm learning how to have self-denial. And I can take the next spiritual step. By the way, no Coke or more water or no brownie, whatever. Those are illustrations. But you know what that looks like in your spiritual life. So it helps you to resist the temptation to be angry, so quick to jump on your spouse. It helps you to be able to be calm and have good conversation that's edifying and, and giving grace to the hearer with your children. It enables you at work to not be the one that's a brawler and a gossip and a problem and the one that's always in the manager's office, but rather the one that's a peacemaker and a Barnabas bringing encouragement to everybody around. So all of a sudden, when we find ourselves bringing our bodies under subjection, we find the self-control, and it goes in ways that we keep under. That's the word for discipline. It's to bruise. Paul is saying in this text, I keep under. Uh, he says that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it under subjection. So he's even using the analogy of, of bruising himself. He'd be willing to give himself a black eye, willing to bring himself to that place so that he would not do that which would be detract from the name of Jesus Christ or the gospel message. I read an article that says the last thing America needs is another fat preacher. It was convicting. Preachers like to get up and throw out everybody else's sin except for their own. And the reality is for all of us that we quit trying to judge each other and look at ourselves and say, what is it that I do that detracts from the name of Jesus Christ and the gospel message? And where is it that I need to tweak? He said, lest by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Understand the extreme consequence here. He is saying, if I don't bring my body 
under subjection, if I don't have self-discipline in my spiritual life, if I don't have self-control in my physical life, I will detract from the gospel, and he says, I will be just like a castaway. This word castaway is a technical word familiar to those who were reading his letter. It was a Greek game term, and it was those who were disapproved and disqualified. After 10 months of training, after a month of rigorous training in the gymnasium and on the athletic fields, they would still have castaways. You know what they would do before the Greek games? There was a herald who would announce the rules of the contest. Ladies and gentlemen, gather around. Here are the rules of the contest. Then they would list the names of the contest, starting in lane number one is, there's the contestants, and then they would list the names of the cities of the winners. But then there was also something that they would announce there at the games. They would list all the names of any contestants who were disqualified. Hmm. The disqualified Greek athlete did not lose his citizenship. He would always remain a Greek. But he lost the opportunity to win a prize. Just as we do not lose our salvation, we do not lose our citizenship, but our opportunity to win the prize. Remember the target. Remember the purpose. Remember the goal. It's preaching and sharing Jesus Christ and the power of the gospel. So today, would we have to stand here? Peter Grant, a castaway, because he didn't invest in his marriage this week. Peter Grant, a castaway, because he did not pour into his children this week. Peter Grant, a castaway, because he did not bring his body into subjection and take steps forward in his spiritual race this week. I don't lose my citizenship, but I've lost my opportunities to win the prize. This Friday, the Winter Olympics will kick off in South Korea. Now, back in 2006, in the Torino Winter Olympics, there was a very memorable moment that took place in the gold medal race of a brand new event that year. It was the snowboard cross. Now, the snowboard cross is a, an event most, much like a, a race downhill. They were racing downhill, they would overcome obstacles, and they would do it all on a snowboard. And so this was a treacherous course that was filled with these obstacles. So in the gold medal race, there was American Lindsay Jacobellis, and uh, she started out with three other racers. She was the one targeted to win this race. And as they began the race, she was going down the hill, and some things happened to where she was already in very first place. You'd find that the a tragedy happened in the back that caused two of the racers to fall to the ground, and then the third racer was in second place. But the second place girl was so far behind, you couldn't even see her close to Lindsay. Now, something unfortunate happened. As Lindsay's coming down to her last two jumps, she's so excited about winning and competing in this medal round that when she came onto that second jump, in midair she did a little showboating with her snowboard and did a little squiggly in the air. And when she came down, she lost her traction and fell right down in the race. Now, I remember watching the video, and, and all of a sudden she's trying to get up. You can see a video of her. They're excited. Two more jumps to go. Gold medal. What we've been anticipating for this very moment of this race. And then all of a sudden she goes down. And the Switzerland racer, Tejan, comes right through. 
and passes her with one jump left. Unfortunately, Jacob Ellis, she lost the race. She came in second. And when she was interviewed at the end, later she would give this very simple explanation for her behavior. She said, I was caught up in the moment. Caught up in the moment. That's the problem. We get caught up in the moments here on earth and we quit focusing on Christ and the rewards that he has for us that will last for all eternity. We lose our place in life. We settle for second place. We fall into mediocre living and we say, that's going to be just fine. At least I was there for the event. At least I was on the awards podium. No, you'll be a castaway. You'll be disqualified. I want us all to run this race marked with a level of commitment on pleasing our Savior. I want us to live a life that is free from those things which hold us back to our spiritual development. And I want us to learn that the joy that comes from disciplining and guiding ourselves through the Lord's work is to grow in our spiritual life. It will happen as we make this commitment if we would be willing today not to get caught up in the moment, but make a commitment to run, to win. Will you do that today?